Hey guys, before we get started with today's episode, I want to apologize in advance for a little bit of the sound quality issues in this episode. You see, the night that me and Aaron recorded this wonderful interview with uh, Whitfield Crane, uh, we decided to open the windows up and enjoy the beautiful almost fall weather that we've been having in Tennessee lately. So you're going to hear a uh, nice special guest of crickets on tonight's episode. So just uh, sit back, enjoy your s'mores, and pretend you're sitting by a campfire while we have this discussion with Whitfield Crane. Now, on with the show. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. You make me all right, welcome back to the Decibel Geek Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Chris Senzak. He's Aaron Camaro. We're your hosts. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're going to be as ugly as we want to be today, aren't we? We are, after all, America's least wanted. Well, we have faces for podcasting, so being a, as right. ugly as we want to be is not very hard. Yeah. Uh, today's guest is Whitfield Crane. We're going to talk about Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah, Ugly Kid Joe's got a new album out. It's available on iTunes now, Stairway to Hell. It's a six-song EP and it is killer. And it's been a long time since Ugly Kid Joe's been around. I'm stoked. This is one of yeah, my all-time I mean, favorite bands. If this isn't uh, a band tailor made for our uh, demographic and what we cover, you know, and Absolutely. especially it's you know in the, into the now with the new release, you know. So uh, Whitfield had a lot of great stories to share with us, and we appreciate him coming on. I uh, got a few couple things to get to. If you're listening to us on Maximum Threshold Radio at maximumthreshold.net, it's Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks and, for and uh, you're half in the bag. Yeah. And you're half in the bag, or all the way in the bag. <laughs> if you started drinking early, it's five o'clock somewhere. Um, thanks for listening to the show. If you like it uh, and want to hear every episode, never miss one, you can uh, download us for free on iTunes. Just hit the subscribe button, and you're right there. You can be cool like everybody else and love the Decibel Geek podcast. And I want to remind everybody once again, we are on Facebook. You can check us out on there. We've always got some interesting conversations going on on our Facebook page, and uh, we want you to like us. So go ahead and hit that little button with the thumbs up on it. That tells us that you love us and that we're doing the right thing by continuing this show because we've got a lot of love to give. Aaron, who's the Geek of the Week this week? Uh, our Geek of the Week this week is Kiss, or uh, his name is Dutch Kiss Army. I think it's Dutch Kiss Army. I don't think it's a real name. I it's, think it's a, it's, it's just one a... word, man. It's a last name. His first name is Dutch, and his last name is Kiss Army. Oh, I'm just looking at his link. It's the Dutch Kiss Army NL. So this is one of our uh, European ah, listeners. Nice. And uh, he posted a nice photo uh, from Amster the beaches of Amsterdam saying, the only thing to do on a beach like this is catching up on Decibel Geek Podcast. That's amazing to think. And there's a picture of it on the Facebook. It's and beautiful. It is gorgeous there that dude's hanging out and listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast on the beach. That's in that's Amsterdam, flattering. no less. In Amsterdam. I'm surprised you can find his iPod. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd probably be having a hard time hanging out in Amsterdam doing anything else. Yeah, so so uh, Mr. Dutch Kiss Army, Kiss uh, Army. enjoy being Geek of the Week the, with the prestige and the glory that goes along with that. And, and the uh, honor. The Monopoly money, the green Monopoly money is on its way to Amsterdam. That's right. Not only are you in one of the most beautiful, awesome places in the world, you are now the king of that place. That's right. So um, nice. We've uh, got a lot to talk about with uh, Whitfield Crane. So yeah, we we're really going to we're going to dig into it. So let's go ahead, fire it up right now. You guys, check this out. You want to know anything about Ugly Kid Joe? We've got it covered for you. This is Whitfield Crane. Yeah, I don't know if it wore out, but yeah, we had a. <laughs> 
a lot of living in a few days. Yeah, hey. for sure. <laughs> Very cool. Right on. You guys yeah. just got done doing some real big festivals over in Europe, too. You guys did Sweden Rock. You did the Download Fest in Donington and Gods of Metal. How was the response been? It was amazing, man. Um, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we started our tour in uh, London on June 6th, and uh, and the good news with that was we, we did a club show, uh, and, um, you know, it sold out two months in advance, and we weren't really sure. It's been, you know, 15 years. Would anybody go? Would anyone really remember? And uh, that was a good, like, if you were showing up to Europe and you haven't played in 15 years and, and you were going to get a sign if something good was going to go on, that was, that was the sign. I mean, it was amazing. And then from then, we went to Sweden Rock, and that was amazing. I got to jam with Motorhead, Killed by Death, with the guitar player for King Diamond. Very cool. <laughs> that awesome. Was yet, that was yet another sign of everything was going to be cool. And then the third show in, as you, uh, as you stated, at Download, was insane. We went on uh, at 4.35 uh, p.m., second stage, on uh, Sunday, the third day, uh, and, and, and it had rained without a doubt. I mean, it had poured rain, like biblical proportions. And uh, when we went on, it cleared up, the sun was nice, and uh, the most people, I believe, uh, to come to the second stage in 10 years of download showed their faces. There were 60,000 people to, to uh, come check us out, so, I mean, it, it went off. So, once again, it, it, was a, it was another great time. So the shows were great, the club shows were great, we evolved as a band, you know, of course, like any band would, through 24 shows. We did uh, 15 countries in 33 days, we went to Israel for 4th of July, I mean, it went on and on. But, I was uh, going yeah, to ask you about that. That was a show in Tel Aviv with uh, Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses, right? That is correct. One of six. Uh, that show in Tel Aviv was uh, was neat because it was just those two bands, uh, Ugly Good <laughs> Joe and, um, and Guns N' Roses. You know, if you said that to me years ago, I would have been like, wow. So, yeah, no kidding. Really Imagine that in 2012. <laughs> right? Who, who knew? So the tour was great. Uh, you know, I'd never been to Israel on uh, Fourth of July, we you know we went. Uh, uh, Sonny Mayo, the guitar player, and myself went with all the Guns N' Roses guys, minus uh, the singer, to Jerusalem, and you know saw all the things you'd see. You know, went to the Wailing Wall. We saw all the crazy things you could imagine, and uh, a lot to take in. But it was amazing. What an amazing experience that we uh, we gained through music once again. Nice. Well, I got to tell you, man, the new EP that's available now. I'm sure everybody we've been telling them about it for about a month now here on the podcast, i got to tell you, Stairway to Hell is killer. It is awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, it's very good stuff. And it's uh, I noticed that it, I can definitely hear a uh, real, I want to say, Bon Scott eras and uh, ACDC and Black Sabbath influence there. Would, it, would you say that's correct? For vocal. Yeah. I mean, oh, even sure. in the music, you, you can tell Sabbath oh, in there, sure. too. There's, I mean, if there's, any, if there's any little demigods on balance to it, it would be Halford. And it would be Bon Scott, and uh, it would be Ozzy. So you got, you know, you got all those influences in me for sure. Yeah, because Ugly Kid Joe's always been a band that's kind of wore their influences on their sleeves proudly. You know, and it's it's those forefathers of metal that gave birth to you guys, and you guys make it obvious and pay homage in a good way. And uh, you know, you continue to today. Uh, you guys formed back in what 1990. You got what you and Klaus grew up together. Is that right? That's true. We grew up in Palo Alto, California. Now that's outside of uh, San Jose, right? It's right near San Jose. You know, it's it's uh it's like I would say 40 minutes out of San Francisco. Right on. So you think Stanford? Think Stanford, like Stanford University. That's Palo Alto. Right on. 
So when you guys were growing up, were you guys into hard rock and metal from the earliest ages, going to shows and stuff? What kind of bands were you guys seeing growing up? Well, my first show ever was Johnny Cash at the Circle Star Theater. Nice. When, uh, and I, uh, when I was a little kid, I didn't even know what anything was. My parents took me to that. Um, my first records were probably Johnny Cash and, and Commodores. Really? Like, I don't know. Yeah, as I recall. You know, you know vinyl. Remember the days? Sure. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, slowly but surely, uh, like, I remember my sister went off to Berkeley. Uh, she went to, off to study molecular biology. And uh, as she was leaving, I was uh, entering high school. And, uh, you know, I'd already found Sabbath this and that. But uh, she handed me vinyl. She handed, she handed me Highway to Hell vinyl. Mm-hmm. And Street Survivors, Leonard Skinner vinyl. Nice. And she looked at me all weird, and she handed me these, these records. And she was off to, to her, you know, college travails. And she she said, uh, you know, hey, you'll be done with this junior year in high school. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, so you know, we, you know, we were really into Priest, and I, I'm still, I mean, so I'm still, you know, really into these bands. You know, I love them. Uh, Judas Priest, of course, old school Priest, Sad Wings of Destiny. You know, that, that Hero Hero Records, insane Rock Rolla. Oh, All yeah. the old stuff, um, yeah. incredible. Old ACDC, you know, amazing. I mean, pre-Sabbath and ACDC are really like, what, the five first records are just the best things ever. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we were, I mean, that's what we did in suburbia. <laughs> the ACDC. Now that you guys were growing up and you were kind of close to San Francisco, were you able to catch in as you got a little bit older, some of the early thrash stuff like Metallica that was starting to build out of San Francisco? Were you able to witness any of that stuff? I didn't really witness any of it. Klaus was more into that than, uh, than I would have been. You know, uh, we were once again we're in Palo Alto. The cool thing about Palo Alto at that time is that it had one of the stones. It had a keystone, like there used to be the keystone San Francisco where all that thrash stuff was going on, and then there was a keystone Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know how thrashy I was. You know, I've always been into to really you know to melodic vocals, this and that. You know, of course we love Metallica, Ride Lightning, and and uh, you know, Kill Mall Master Puppets. Who, who wouldn't like that? Um, but, um, you know, for us, uh, the scene that we were into, you know, we were into, like, you know, we had a thing in Palo Alto at, at the Keystone Palo Alto. It was called Metal Mondays. So all kinds of bands would come through there. We were, we were into Wasp, and we were into Y&T and Michael Shanker nice. and, and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the thrash stick was there. I don't know if it really influenced me that much. You know, I was more into the Sabbath and Priest and... Van Halen and, and all that. So then around 1990 or so, you end up moving to uh, Isla Vista, and then not Isla to Isla Vista, right on. Yep. Isla and then Vista. close yeah, is, yeah. if you know, let me know if I'm right or wrong on this, because we really try to do our sure. homework. <laughs> so then close ends up following you there, and you guys start forming the beginnings of Ugly Kid Joe. Is that right? Somewhat. I, I went down there in 89 with a, my backpack and a skateboard, and I, you know, I went on the telephone pole. It was like, you know, heavy metal singer wanted, and I was like, finally, I could be a singer, and I went and tried out for this band uh, and got, got the gig. And then that band, I grew into a band that could draw 800 people, a cover band with, with, with a couple originals, right? And then at that point, I'm like, dude, to Klaus, you know, I, I did a demo with that band. I'm like, dude will you finally be in a band with me? You know, because he's the dude that I always wanted to play with, but, you know, I never I never got to. So, push come to shove. We went and did some uh, demos for his songs, which proved to him that maybe he should move down there. He moved down there to a band that was already established uh, and kind of took over. So, bottom line, what he did was he, he cruised in, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, moved some people around to it was a acceptable, you know, uh, lineup for him that he liked, and I think we both agreed upon and then he got a record deal within 10 gigs. So he followed me down to a band that was <laughs> already going, you know? Nice. But, uh, you know. So that demo you're talking good. about, is that the one uh, that was recorded with Eric Valentine? Yes. It used to be called Eric Dodd, of course. But um, yeah, he, he went to high school with Eric, and he is, you know, one of the most talented humans you'll ever meet. Um, so, yeah. 
exactly right. I went and did, uh, you know, the band at the time was called Overdrive, and we went and did a bunch of, um, you know, whatever. We, we did a demo of whatever songs were at that time. And I showed those to Klaus at his house. And uh, he was like, wow. You know, I've been trying to get him to let me sing with him for my whole life. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> so once he heard me sing on, on those demos, he was like, all right, okay then. And, uh, and he's That's okay. Cool. He's pretty methodical. You know, he takes his time. And he said, okay, let's do my songs. And so the original demos that we did for Ugly Kid Joe with just the Klaus's songs, funny enough, are Eric Valentine playing bass and drums with Klaus and me. And yeah. that's the original, that's the, you know, the, the total in-house Palo Alto rock and roll effect. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys knew him growing up. Oh, yeah, he's the man. Yeah, for the listeners that know, don't know, Eric Valentine would go on to produce a ton of great bands, including Queens of the Stone Age, and he's basically Slash's go-to guy nowadays. Yep. And producing all Slash's stuff. Um, so then from there, you guys are getting it together. Now, the, the name hasn't come yet, but at the point when it does, I think it's a pretty well-known story that you guys parodied the band Pretty Boy Floyd. Now, from what I've read, it came from it came from a show that you guys were booked together with, but they didn't show up. I mean, was it just a joke and then it stuck? I mean, how did the how did Ugly Kid Joe stick? It was a joke and it stuck. Uh, yeah, I mean, bottom line, uh, you know, when you're in a small little town and national acts roll through, I mean, that's awesome. Your, your dream as any local band is to open for a national act. You feel like you're close to the fire, you know? Right. So. We certainly wanted to do that in any band that came through there. And uh, one time, the band that was coming through was, of course, Pretty Boy Floyd. And we're like, dude, that'd be rad. You know, if you could open up for that band. So you guys, did you guys dig their dig their music? I don't really know any Pretty Boy Pretty Boy Floyd songs. So no, I don't really know. Once again, (laughs) you're not missing much. (laughs) Um, But as far as uh, you know, us being you know hilarious. That that goes on today. That goes on daily today. Um, <laughs> yeah, so when we, we, we got, you should have seen us in Brazil. Um, we got the gig. Uh, Bill Hardy, the dude that gave us the gig via the demo tapes we were just talking about, was like right on. I don't even know how we talked to him because there was no cell phones, but he said right on. You guys got the gig, but we got to put it in the paper. So what do you guys want to call your band? I'm all, dude, it's right now. You got to pull the trigger, Klaus. And he's like, what do we do? And that's what we did. Boom, we we're going to open up for Pretty Boy Floyd. It was on. Nice. Come. And then, of course, that kid got canceled, but we chuckled and kept the name. Did you ever hear what the uh, guys in Pretty Boy Floyd thought of your name? I think they like it. Yeah. I mean, third person, fourth person, whatever it is. I mean, it's cool. I mean, it, I, I mean, it's without a doubt, you know, it's funny. So how could you not love it? Right. Right. <laughs> I got to imagine at that time there's got to be like hundreds of Pretty Boy Floyds running around. Is is that how the music scene kind of was at that point with you guys? A whole lot of glam metal bands all at once? Not in, not in Santa Barbara, man. I mean, we really, to our benefit and to our challenge was that we didn't come from any particular scene. I mean, we're from Isla Vista, California, right? That's a... That's the most densely populated square mile west of the Mississippi. That's a college town. I mean, that's cruiser bikes. That's barbecues. That's, you know, you know, bands in the street. That's keg parties. That's, you know, you know, all of that. And it's all in-house. So you could just be in these weird bands. Of course, we started a rock band, which was uh, fruitful. Um, so when we blew up, you know, we, we didn't come out of the scene. I mean, L.A. maybe had a whole bunch of that, but right. we weren't in L.A. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then Seattle, uh, independently of that, was happening, but we didn't know that. We right. didn't know anything. We were just kind of, you know. You guys were just kind of in the middle doing your own thing. And now, Deep Thoughts with Gene Simmons. People always wonder what a celebrity is like in real life. Are they as cool as they are on TV? Are they as smart as they seem in their deep lyrics? Are they actually good people? I'd like to think that I'm quite a gentleman. The chivalry isn't dead. Like last week. 
I had this groupie come back after the show, and I held open the trunk lid for her because, of course, she couldn't actually sit inside the limo with me. That was chivalrous. I did hold the trunk lid up. Yeah, I gave that bitch some chivalry. Bitches love chivalry. Listen to the Decibel Geek podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hi, this is Jimi Hendrix, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. So then you talk about, you know, as things blew up, and boy, did they ever. You guys came out in 1991, released as ugly as they want to be. Um, cruised right up to number four on the Billboard 200 by 1992. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, a record that still stands to this day, Ugly Kid Joe in the record books as having the highest-selling EP of all time. I think it's debut EP. Is it, is it the debut? That's well, I know it's still that. pretty I impressive. I know the other part. It might be. I don't, maybe. We'll I don't have to look into that. No one's ever going to... What do you think? I think so. Let's, yeah, let's see. Yeah, we, we, I, we did. We did our research, and as far as I can tell, it is of all time. So you can go ahead and start bragging about that, and if anybody questions, just tell them, all well, those guys from the Decibel Geek podcast said so. <laughs> it must be sure. true. Yeah, it, it, it sold an awful lot of uh, CDs, for sure. That opened a lot of cool doors for us. We got a tour with Ozzy and Motor. Uh, 20 years ago today, I think, on this phone, in this phone, 20 years ago now, I would think, if I do my mental research, yeah, I think we're on tour with Motorhead and Ozzy right now. And, and, nice. uh, and how, how much of a fanboy were you on that tour, like getting to tour with these guys? It was insane, man. I mean, here's the thing. I am a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love these bands. I mean, I love them from my heart, from my solar plexus, from everywhere in my, in my being. So, you know, I would have been psyched just to meet them and get an autograph or or take a picture of these guys, let alone have the Trojan horse of, like, I'm in a band, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's awesome. that said, all of a sudden, we have this, uh, you know, this amazing sex success with our own music, and uh, and then, you know, we have a true passion or love for various bands that we get to go tour with. We toured with Van Halen in, in soccer stadiums in, in Europe. I mean, how insane is that? With Eddie Van Halen. That's awesome. And, you know, how rad is that? Michael Anthony's hitting, hitting, you know, drinking shots of a whiskey. Like, Jack, literally drinking Jack Daniels behind Michael Anthony's base rig at soccer stadiums while Eddie would come and finger rib leads in my face. Wow. <laughs> That's so, awesome. You know, um, it's, it's good times for, for, for anybody who's a fan of music that, you know, gets to go in the door and perform with these, uh, you know, these various guys that, you know, I, I just love. I mean, I just jammed with Motorhead twice, once in uh, Sweden Rock. And once uh, in um, Belgium. And Belgium was in front of 60,000 people. And before we, he, he, they invited me to go jam killed by death for that, this was just the other day, was, was uh, Phil Campbell came up and jammed with us in our tent to 10,000 people, got on stage with us, we could go and jam the, the song God, which is on Menace to Sobriety, and jammed with us. That's awesome. So, that is killer. We've been adopted. <laughs> How hard yeah. is it to uh, keep up with the lifestyle of touring with Ozzy, Eddie Van Halen, and Lemmy? Back in the day, it was easy. <laughs> you know, back in the day, I was like, let's do this. Yeah. You know, so now, but for now, you know, I'm 44 years old, so what do I do now? Now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty healthy. You know, I put down cigarettes, I put down drugs, alcohol, and all those things for now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the actual uh, tool that I'm using to, to be functional, you know, at a really high level for, for, for now. Yeah. And so if I show up grateful and healthy and hungry and stoked on what I'm doing, I'm sure a lot of doors will open. If I show up kind of strung out and lethargic and 
And, like, you know, it's not going to happen. So back then, though, 24 years old and 25 and 27, right before 30, you know, <laughs> it was on. <laughs> yeah, so, I can you imagine. Know, you know, those guys are crazy. All right, so at that point now, you guys have released uh, As Ugly As They Want To Be. Um, that was on Stardog Records. Is that a subsidiary of uh, Mercury? Is that how that worked? Um, if you really wanted to delve into that, uh, Mercury had a band called Mother Love Bone, which later goes on to become Pearl Jam. Right. Yeah. Mother Love Bone uh, uh, had a subsidiary label, I think made by Andrew Wood, called Stardog Records, right? Now, whatever, when Andrew Wood died, you know, you know, in peace to that dude, they, the, you know, they went on to Epic or whatever. We, we pretty much took Mother Love Bone's spot. So unbeknownst huh. to us, when, uh, when they were, you know, we're just kids, and they're like, cool, what label are we on? And for whatever... The label wanted that to be, you know, they, they just kind of slap start start out on there. Uh, was that cool? Probably not. Well, it uh, worked out for everybody. I mean, that first EP went skyrocket, you know, so that had to help Stardog Records a lot. I was wondering about the connection between the two because that Stardog is kind of synonymous with Mother Love Bone. I didn't know if there was an actual connection on that or not, but that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so then yeah. at this point now you got Cordell Crockett in the band on bass, right? That's right. That guy's killer. What a great bass player. Yeah, he's great. When you guys One found him, was he uh, guitar teching for Love Hate? You know, I think he did that, and I, you know, I think he did that before us. Uh, if I get my facts straight, and I think he even did it. I think he became the bass player after us. Yeah. If I get my facts straight, he has a lot of. Uh, I think he's really good friends with Johnny Love. And then not too long after that, is uh, it's now 1992. The EP is done great. There's a ton of killer songs or the handful of killer songs on there you come out in 1992 and you've got you know of course this big hit single i hate everything about you is is huge and it's everywhere in that time and uh you know and then all of a sudden it's like it got picked up on by saturday night live it's like you guys had some kind of connection with them that at that time saturday night live was really kicking Hmm. where they were coming out with stuff wayne's world movie i think the song was in the soundtrack for that wasn't it played in the movie true you know, and then and then the thing with Pat on the on the uh, America's Least Wanted. How how does that all come <laughs> together with Saturday Night Live and Ugly Kid Joe? Well, um, with Pat, there's just some dude I forget his name. His aunt was Pat. Oh wow! Right, actually. So so that was us loving that character on Saturday Night Live and just kind of you know it's all who you know. Will you ask your aunt to be in our video? Will you wow. ask her to be on our record? <laughs> kind of like that. That's like a pretty wild. Went down. Like just. Stuff like that. All, all that. I mean, we had Rob Halford sing on "Goddamn Devil." Right. Similar, similar, similar storyline. So, at that time, uh, all kinds of energies and people <laughs> were flying left and right all around us, and and uh, some of the some of the stuff that manifested, of course, were, you know, uh, Pat from Saturday Alive, and of course, <laughs> Wayne's World. That's pretty cool. You know, it seemed like there was like some sort of connection. It's wild how it's all kind of coincidental like that. Yeah, and I was yeah. I was going to ask you like when you go into this era with I hate everything about you and then later with Cats in the Cradle and you guys are showing up on award shows and touring and everything. Is it I mean, how like take us through like what a day must have been like for you guys at that time? Were you guys just being worked to death at that point? Yeah, but we were young and we could take it. You know, right. we were drinking a lot. Everyone was drinking and having a good time. You know, we were going around the world. The interesting thing that happened for us uh, was, you know, that I, you know, I only now know in, in retrospect it was an oddity, is that we broke around the world massively at once. So mm-hmm. at one time, I think we toured straight for over two years, like forever. Wow. Um, 
so a, a typical day became pretty pretty blurry. Uh, but you know, we would go to cool culture. We'd go to Australia and we played the Horton Pavilion for five thousand people in Sydney. Bam! I'd never been to Australia, and uh, you know, it just became that that lifestyle, and and it is still. I was just out in it a second ago. <laughs> it all exists still. Um, but a typical day, you know, we we uh, we were on tour a lot. We toured a lot and we played a lot of shows. Uh, we may, you know, I suppose. You know, for the machinery that is the music industry, they did work us pretty hard, and they, you know, and, and fair enough. They wanted to go make their money. Um, yeah, we were worked, but we were, we were young enough to take it. We could never survive that now, I don't think. Right. So, yeah, we got worked. So it's about at this time, then, that uh, Dave Fortman comes into the fold and replaces Roger Lahr on guitar, right? That's right. Is that, that's in between the EP and the first album? That's correct. So what would possess a guy like Roger Lahr, you know, in the face of knowing that this band is about to completely explode all over the world to step out of the band? Oh, I don't know. You have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just didn't make much sense to me. You know, if it's pretty obvious that it's about to explode, but, you know, things work out. Dave Fortman's amazing, you know, and made some major contributions to the band on America's Least Wanted. Like you say, you got Rob Helford as a guest on there. You got the huge Ozzy tour. The album cover, now this takes us back to that time and age where, you know, nowadays probably not that big of a deal the album cover for america's least wanted but of course you guys have to come out with the alternative censored cover where you know ugly kid joe on the cover is physically being censored right you know isn't that funny nowadays compared to you know if you were to come out with an album cover like that now i don't think there'd be too much of a stink about it well that was based in we wanted to get our cds or at least the machinery of what we were wanted to get our cds in walmart because i was a big uh right percentage sale you know so um Walmart probably wouldn't take the, the, the fuck you finger now, too, with the Statue of Liberty. So <laughs> yeah, maybe I bet right it would be the that. same. And, and the funny thing is, is no one buys CDs anyway. So That's true. You know, no one, <laughs> there's no artwork to buy. Exactly. Well, I like that you guys still had a sense of humor about it, even when you were being censored. You, yeah. you just like, we might as well make a joke out of this, too, right? Why not? Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. So then after that point, you guys, you know, you're huge all over the world. Like Chris said, making appearances all over the place, touring pretty much everywhere there is to tour nonstop. And then and now it's time, it's 95 time to come back and uh, put together Menace to Sobriety. Um, amazing album. You know, I remember when that came out, I just, I was blown away by how good it was. At this point, Shannon Larkin's in the band. You know, he's an amazing drummer. I think he's got to bring, you know, this guy who's been in a ton of different bands and really improves every band he's ever joined, I think. Well, Shannon is, is, the, is, the, is the cream of the crop, you know? He's at the highest level of percussion that you get on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and he's heavy, you know? And he's, and he's an incredible poet. And he's, he's an artist is what he is. And so, I- you know, Shannon took, I mean, if you think about it, we got our EP, and then we needed to evolve, as we did, into, the, into America's Least Wanted. So we had Dave Foreman, bam, evolution, right? Right. And then we're moving along, moving along. Uh, as I said before, we did tour for over two years straight, and that, in, that drove Mark Davis to the brink and you're like dude I can't do this and so when he left after Perth Australia that was his last gig you know we came back and long story short we ended up with Shannon Larkin boom evolution so yeah Menace is a great record you know I'm really proud of that one yeah it's awesome and around that time too here's one I've been I've wanted to ask this for a long time you know and, and you could probably tell talking to me I've been a fan of Ugly Kid Joe since pretty much the beginning the first time I ever heard him in 1994, Kiss comes out with their Kiss My Ass, their, basically their tribute album yeah, they, to they, themselves. You know, they, they ripped us off, for sure. 
Is that, I was wondering about that because on the video for it, it shows like a board with a bunch of names of bands that were supposedly slated to be on this album. And I saw that and I was like, oh man, you know, why isn't Ugly Kid Joe on there? Why isn't Megadeth on there? What happened with that? What are you talking about right now? What, what are you saying? I'm talking about the Kiss My Ass tribute album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were supposed to. Okay, no, no. I thought you were talking about something else. They, they actually took their, as I recall, they took uh, America's, you know, our Statue of Liberty, which was the Statue of Liberty. Oh, from the uh, Revenge Tour. Oh, they yeah, yeah, okay. That artwork and, used, and used it for their stage. You know? yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. I never even made that connection. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we were all at Mercury, man. No, no. In fact, we were, we were actually, if you're talking about the tribute record, yeah. we were invited to be on that. It was, and as you before, what was as you said before, you like what's it like? What's it like in the day in the life? We were, a lot of movement was going on, and we had an opportunity. We had two, two times, two uh, two different uh, tribute records. We were invited to go on. One was the Black Sabbath NIB, and one was the Kiss one. And it was yeah. right then. It was right when Mark Davis split, so mm-hmm. we didn't have a drummer. <laughs> so we actually, we actually, we. I mean, they were really. Kiss was awesome. Kiss said, "Hey man, you can do this song." Blah blah blah. blah. And we said, "Rad, we're going to do it." And then it, it came down to we had to pick one because we couldn't really get our shit together and uh, so we picked Sabbath of course and then uh, and then I think the Mighty Boston did the song we were supposed to do was it recall. which song was that um, I swear what, it's Detroit Rock Boston's City or something there. but if you, if you listen to that tribute record mm-hmm. it says it, their song starts off with Gene Simmons talking about he's all yeah. the and actually and he <laughs> says another artist is already doing it for, you know because we're both on Mercury Program and uh, he, actually I think the Boston's song starts off with him saying you know, Ugly Kid Joe's going to do the song, and then the, the Boston's roar into their version of the song because they're doing it. Speaking of cover tunes, you know, you guys had a huge hit with Cats in the Cradle, and it's a Harry True. Chafin cover. You know, it, it, not to take nothing away from it because it was the, definitely the right song at the right time for you guys, and it became a huge hit, you know, and it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that it's such a universally recognized song, but what made you guys pick that song as your cover for that? Well, for me, I used to listen to that song with my sister, Kathy, yeah. uh, when I was a little kid on a, on a 45 vinyl. Mm-hmm. I would sneak to her room and listen to that. We'd listen to Harry Chapin's song. We'd listen to it over and over, and I loved it. Um, why we picked that song, the honest story of that would be, you know, after we blew up with that EP, uh, As Ugly As They Want To Be, we went to the studio with Mark Dodson, and the Mer- and Mercury, you know, Polygram was stoked to get another record out there. Like, you guys got the songs, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, we got them. But we didn't have, we didn't have the songs. We didn't have enough songs. <laughs> And I said right there and then, I said, hey, man, why don't we cover Captain Cradle? You know, when we, were, we were already doing it kind of live. And I'm like, why don't we put this on the record? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Dunn's like, all right, cool, because we needed to fill space on the record, bottom line. And, uh, and then, you know, bam, it came out like it did. You know, we had Jenny Berry singing on that. Uh, and, of course, Dave played the sitar, Dave Foreman. Um, and uh, it came out amazing. And as Ugly Kid Joe seems to manifest a radio station in Texas without the push-ups record company picked that song up and it went number one by itself. Bam. And then, of course, the record company pushed its chips in the middle and and it became Mm. a big hit. But, yeah, I mean, we really just wanted to fill uh, America's Least Wanted space. Hey, speaking of some more covers, in 1994, you did uh, Born to Raise Hell with Motorhead and Ice-T for the Airhead soundtrack. How did that all come together? Lawn Friend. Oh, really? From Rip Magazine, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Lon Friend is awesome. He's a real, really intelligent, magical music lover for sure, musicologist. And uh, I think back then, if I can recall, I might get the guys wrong, but I think there was like Sting, Rod Stewart, and like, uh, what's the Canadian kids? Uh, and they did that Three Musketeer song. Remember that? Oh, uh, Brian Adams. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, I don't know if I got the guys right, but remember that? You did, yeah, you got them right. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so that said, Lon Sen was like, we will will take that on with metal. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So that's what I think of it. And so I was, uh, so originally it was Sebastian Bach, me, and uh, and Motorhead, and then for whatever reason, at the at the eleventh hour, Sebastian Bach pulled out, and then we sat there with just me and Motorhead, and then and then the last second there came you know Ice T, the dream comes true. Wow. <laughs> what a weird mix that is. Yeah, no kidding. Broadcasting live from Lemmy's Mole, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Got a question, comment, request, or legal threat? Call us on our voicemail hotline at 540-DB-GEEK-1. That's 540-324-3351. So then here we're at the point now, Menace to Sobriety's out. This is where things get kind of weird, you know, and especially for me being a big fan, you know, how could this album have not been just as big as the ones that came before it? But for whatever reason, Menace to Sobriety just doesn't fire the same way the other ones did. Looking back on it, is there anything you can put your finger on as to why such a great album, you know, it's a fan favorite for sure. But as far as like record sales, um, you know, I mean, bottom line, you know, the reason that we probably sold a lot of records is we're an MTV band. You know, if MTV at that time, you know, when they really played videos, mm-hmm. if they're spinning your video, you're, you know, you're, you're selling a, sh- a shitload of records or CDs yeah. or whatever. And equally, the great tsunami of Seattle had, had already broke. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of a perfect storm for a lot of bands. You know, we were one of the last bands to squeak through, you know, before Seattle came. Menace to Sprite itself in Europe did great. You know, we went and toured soccer stadiums with Bon Jovi and Van Halen. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. But you're right. In America, that was that. You, you know, the, uh, the end was near. <laughs> That's the funny thing about that period of time, too, because I can remember being in high school and cutting out to run over to my buddy's house and skip school, and we'd watch, like, MTV. And the videos, the rock videos, here's the new ones for the week, you know, and there'd be Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and... Ugly Kid Joe, you know, and Ugly Kid Joe right. was so much different from them other bands. Yeah. But, you know, on the on the same side of that, you know, you guys weren't like the old bands at the time. You guys weren't Motley Crue. You weren't, you know, Poison bands like that that were starting to get kind of shunned at that time by this new wave of alternative metal or whatever you want to call it coming out of Seattle. You guys were kind of caught in the flux of it and actually got a lot of success when other bands that were more... I guess, you know, I'd consider you guys a lot more like a party rock band, like a fun rock band, you know, and not staring at your shoes on stage and <laughs> being depressed that you're selling millions of records kind of a thing. You know, you guys were definitely different. Uh, you know, I, I've, I don't know how you'd label Ugly Kid Joe to this day. Yeah, it's tough. It's so eclectic. We have a lot of different influences for sure. Um, and for sure, we're not staring at our shoes. Um, nah. You know, we love Van Halen, man. We love ACDC. These are our bands. But yeah, we were, we came out at the weirdest time possible. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, I kind of stuck on what a trippy experience. And as I said before, pertaining to Isla Vista, we didn't come from any scene. Yeah. You right. know? So as we blew up, that was, it was all, there was a side of, the side of success that was kind of hard to negotiate was the fact we didn't come from any scene. So all our peer groups, we didn't really know anybody. 
and we were like, wow, where's our bros? Because we, you know, we didn't come up with any particular scene. So that was a, you know, it, that was a, a challenge in itself. You know, now when we go back out there, when we're playing these crazy festivals, you know, all through Europe and, you know, and seeing everyone backstage and seeing all these bands that I now know, mm-hmm. it's cool to be part of, you know, part of a, a you know, part of the music scene as we paid our dues over the over the years. I would I, I would say and you're right because I like I always assumed that I always kind of felt like Ugly Kid Joe kind of stood on its own. Uh, mm-hmm. You definitely were not part of the the glam rock thing. You were not part of of uh, grunge. Although there was one band you toured with that I would put that, that I could compare you to a little bit, and that would be Scatterbrain. That was our first tour. Yeah, I I remember those guys because they had like they were similar a little bit and sound a little bit like a funk metal, but with some comedy thrown in. And I yeah. I, I could definitely hear like you guys were all, sort of like brothers from a different mother. For sure, that was our first tour. Yeah, they were uh, they were cynical to say the least. So yeah, we 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 came from the planet humor for yeah. sure. Yeah, they had that song called uh, "Don't Call Me Dude." Right. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Those guys yeah, so were pretty good. We showed up in our motorhome, our first tour ever, ever. I think we'd ever, you know, we're leaving California for our first time and mm-hmm. opening for Stradabrain. <laughs> and that was their song. We couldn't, I mean, that's all we said was, dude. What's up, dude? Nice. <laughs> that's song. Um, yep. Stradabrain, I, I, I'd say that. Yep, I can see it. You guys end up disbanding in '97, and then well, no, before then, you, you missed a little something here. Oh, you go ahead. You're the... You guys got dropped by Mercury then. At that point, you know, and it's always kind of funny True. to me, like a band. I mean, you just come out with America's Least Wanted, which was huge. You know, Menace to Sobriety didn't really follow it up in sales, but still a great album. You know, how quick were they to pull the trigger on it? Oh, uh, we, I mean, I, I, dude, listen, dude, I asked to get out of that thing. Really? They wanted us, yeah, for sure. I mean, we could have maybe done another record for them, but the writing was on the wall, you know, yeah. flat out. Like, they didn't. They were, you know, that was a business machine. And, you know, it was, you know, it was a trial, it was, you know, baptism by fire for me. Like, I thought, wow, these people suck, you know. <laughs> um, and I probably took it a little more personally than I should back in the day, you know, because, you know, I'm in love with my band and music. And you could tell that they weren't, they, you know, they were not about the band. So I said, hey, man, we need to get off this, this label. We need to get off it now. And everyone was very scared to do that. And I was like, why would you be scared to do that? You know, let's, you know, let's go, go make our own record somewhere, somewhere, somehow. And that's what you basically ended up doing, right? Forming an independent label, Evolution? Yes. Evolution, which is our label, and uh, I forget, I think it was Castle or some crazy label out of of London or England or wherever. And uh, boom, we had it, and it was time to go, and and then the the label folded, and and I I went off to India, and I was in India, and uh, I called Klaus. But he should come to this red uh, Portuguese house. You know, at a killer mansion in Goa, and he's like, "I can't be in this band," and that was the end of the band, really. But uh, I yeah, gotta we imagine left, you know the heartbreak uh, for sure because we wanted to, uh, and you could see that the, that was the beginning of the end of things. And then we had an opportunity to make the Motel California, which is which a cool. Is, yeah, that's another we did killer that by ourselves. album. You know, we produced it ourselves, and that you know that was a that was a you know, of course the bell that we're going to hear in the future. You know, now when we go make records like when we just did uh, when we just did um, uh, Stairway to Hell. You know, that Dave Foreman's gone on to be this insane producer, so we right. did everything in-house. So imagine at this point in our lives now, today, this day when I'm talking to you, we can do all this stuff by ourselves. 
and that pretty much explains why Stairway to Hell is so killer, you know. And and even Motel California, it really didn't, you know, it sold pretty poorly by you know standards of 1996. But you know, again, True. another really killer album. And I think you know, for the fans that stuck with you guys through through it all, you know, through till right up till Motel California. You know, that's another great album, you know, even though maybe the whole world didn't catch on fire with it. But your fans, you know, really do appreciate those last two albums. And I always say, you know, the sad thing about Ugly Kid Joe is most of their best stuff came out after people stopped really paying attention to them. You know, and so people missed out on some great music there. Yeah, I agree. So then that's pretty much it. The writing's on the wall. 97 comes. You guys call it quits. I mean, that must have sucked, huh? To have to actually do it. For for me, I was knee deep in an adventure, which I always am in, involved in some form of adventure. So for me, I was in India and in Goa in a Portuguese mansion with uh, Enfield motorcycles, you know, having a totally awesome adventure. So when I called Klaus and said, "Be on this adventure with me," he sounded more just you know tripping out, and he said, "I don't want to be in the band anymore." And I said, "Okay." So for me, that was the end of the band over a phone line from India to Santa Barbara, wherever he was. Wow. And I just went on with my life. I was like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to break up your, of your, with your band, this is probably the best way. So yeah. I was knee-deep in life. Like, right. life. So, but when I did come back, it did suck. <laughs> it's like, wow. Well, you know, it's a breakup. You had some time breakup. to not have to everybody, it. And that thread, the thread that keeps us together was no longer, or was dying, or was, you know, disintegrating, or whatever. Klaus and I, of course, went back to just being friends over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, we were just in Brazil with the 95 lineup. That was Shannon Larkin, Dave Foreman, me, Cordon Klaus. We just, I mean, eight days ago, I was playing shows in Brazil with the 95 lineup. So that uh, chain of events that just happened was awesome, you know? So imagine, like, you know, getting to play with your, <laughs> with your old wife. Right. (laughs) And that's another thing that's kind of cool, too, that makes Ugly Kid Joe unique. And this maybe speaks more to a diehard fan like myself. But when I look at, you know, you talk about bands and their classic lineups. When I think of Ugly Kid Joe's classic lineup, that's the lineup I think of is the 95, you know. Even though, you know, at that point you guys were past your your selling prime. But still, to me, that's that's always the classic lineup. That's the best, I think. Seminal lineup for sure. It's the it's the strongest the band ever was, uh, and is uh, it's great. So for sure, I agree. So then, ninety seven, the breakup comes. Of course, Dave Fortman, we mentioned it earlier, goes on to become an award winning producer, working with bands like Slipknot, Mudvayne, Superjoint Ritual, Godsmack, a couple of big hit albums with Evan F, F, Evanescence, yeah. and then a whole bunch of other bands. Um, Shannon Larkin, the drummer, ends up going to joins Amen later on with Godsmack. Shannon Larkin gets to play a show with Sabbath. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Pretty awesome. He did that in Columbus, Ohio. And Robert Trujillo called me because they were, they, they were uh, in dire straits and they needed a drummer. And Trujillo called me and said, dude, you've got to tell me yes or no. Is that drummer really as great as you say he is? And I'm all, he's better than oh, I yeah. say he is. <laughs> so, yeah, he got to go jam with Trujillo and Joe Holmes and uh, Borden and then jam with Black Sabbath. Yeah, and I'm sure you didn't let him know. That's why Borden wasn't there. So he got to eat with the drummer. Sorry. He was he jammed with Trujillo and uh, Joe Holmes and Ozzy in the, in, the, in the Ozzy band, and then the same night jammed with Black Sabbath. That's killer. To this day, one of his favorite tales he'll ever tell. Oh, oh obviously, I, I, you know, I would be tugging on the shirt of everybody around me. Yeah. Hey, I played with Black Sabbath. Yeah, let me tell you a story. <laughs> everybody, gather around. <laughs> so then, Whitfield right? Crane, man, after Ugly Kid Joe, you end up going on a tour with Life of Agony. Um, here's something I've always wanted to know: Did you guys ever record anything together? We did demos, but it sucked. 
really? inspired me. Well, that was always the story. They said it sounded like Ugly Kid Joe, which means it that was... It didn't sound like Ugly Kid Joe, no? but it didn't sound like what it, what it, what it you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't sound that good. Yeah. So the songwriting was, all, it, it, you know, Alan Roberts is incredible. The dude's a genius artist and musician. So the songs were great. Did we really give every, it wasn't meant to be, I suppose. You know, I still love those guys and they love me. So, you know, we had the courage to be like, let's call it a day. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. I always wondered about that because I always thought, you know, with Whitfield Crane singing Life of Agony, it's probably the best Life of Agony album there could ever be, and then it never never materialized. You know, who knows? We didn't, you know, I got to tell you, the demos we did, I don't think were that good. And I think that, you know, there there you had it, you know. Uh, Could we have worked harder on it? Maybe so. Uh, But, you know, for me, that experience was so important because when I came back to Santa Barbara after, uh, after coming back from India and came to my you know, no more band. That's when it really hit me, and it did suck. Back to what you said, that must have sucked. It did. Mm-hmm. So I got a call from Scott Ian from Anthrax. He said, "Dude, you should be in this band, Life Agony. Have you ever heard of him?" I'm all, "No." <laughs> yeah. said, check it, out, check it out, and you'll dig it. And, uh, and I'm going to bridge you because you should go do this. Uh, so for me, having an outlet is so important, or purpose. Uh, and if that purpose and outlet can can be singing in a band, I mean, it really makes me feel good. Let alone having the challenge of singing for a legendary hardcore band out of New York. I mean. Right. Singer for Ugly Kid Joe, singing for Life Agony, in mathematically sounds challenging. So every show was challenging. You got to imagine they're diehard fans, and, and you know, and I kicked ass. I did great in that band. So, you know, the, I, the experience I had with LOA was the exact experience I was supposed to have. Uh, perhaps I wasn't supposed to make music with them that was, you know, an album or a CD or whatever for Roadrunner. But getting to tour with those guys and, and know those guys and touring big rooms, small rooms, festivals all through Europe, you know, opening for Megadeth in America. I mean, it really felt good for me at the time. And even now, I mean, it was a, a really important bridge for me to meet all kinds of people. I mean, like I got LOA on the 98 Ozfest. Yeah. And, and then I met all kinds of people on that, you know, my peers, that I was like, my peers, hello everybody. <laughs> I got to meet a bunch of cool people. And, uh, so that band is important for me uh, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, without a doubt, uh, lots of love and respect for, for everybody in that. So somewhere in there, also you end up doing um, some ACDC covers for ACDC tribute album, and it's labeled as the Sensational Witsketeer Band. What, does that yeah. is that something you guys did together after Ugly Kid Joe? Yeah, um, I was I went to go. I got I went to Australia in, in I guess February, February, March of '97 to go promote Motel California, even though the band had broken up. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll go promote it anyway. Yeah. So when I was there, of course, I was asking all about Bon Scott. And as I was there, I got a call from uh, whatever, whoever, whatever that guy's name is that does those tribute records. The Bob and Kulik? I called every, Kulik, I think. Yeah, Bob uh, Kulik. And, uh, and anyway, I, got, I called everyone on the phone, landlines back then. I said, hey, look, you know, all kinds of cool people like Mad Dog, Shannon, Brad Dibbins from Shannon's old band, Souls of Zero, Ratchet America, Klaus, myself, and I, and, uh, and, uh, and I said, you guys should track these DC songs and send them to me in Australia, and I can sing them in the studio uh, within a mile of where Bon Scott sang them originally. Wow. Very and cool. that's just weird. That's just been, you know, sure that's not, Ugly Kid Joe is over, but I was, you know, still thinking, like, <laughs> we should make music, man. <laughs> so those guys sent over ADATs, three songs and I, I sang three and uh, one disappeared I don't know what happened to one of them uh, but two survived and one of them the cover of Ride On which yeah. is awesome and I sang it within a square mile where Bond sang it and Livewire too that Livewire for the listeners if you want to check out something cool um, musically in that song in the solo they kind of slip in a little bit of a uh, whole lot of Rosie 
and it kind of mis- goes back and forth. But I mean, the vocals on that song are killer. But anytime I've ever played that song somewhere out and about, everyone always says, this is amazing. Who is this? Who's doing this song? It's pretty neat. So if you guys get a chance, check that out. I'll give you Joe. Well, the reason, that, if you really want some weirdness, is uh, is if you if the reason I call it the Sensational Witchketeer Band yeah. is because there's a band called the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. humongous, which is a massive influence on ACDC. Uh-huh. Yeah. They you know? had a song called so, Midnight Moses that was awesome. That's right. We've discussed those guys before. So imagine, imagine me doing my weird, best research on ACDC. <laughs> And I'm all, we should call it the Sensational Witch, you know, and I think I'm all cheeky and funny, but really that's paying homage or respect to the Sensational Alex Hardy Very that's cool. cool. <laughs> I never would have put that together. That's pretty neat. So then, you know, time goes by, then you end up in um, medication, come out with, uh, that's with uh, Logan Mater, formerly of Soulfly. Uh, you guys came out with an album called Prince Valium, which is actually a pretty cool album. I agree. And the EP before that's really cool. That's got yeah. Lord Miorga on it. Trujillo was in that for a while, uh, but then we got Kyle Sanders on bass, uh, and uh, the EP's really great and is awesome, uh, and then the, the record itself, Prince Zion, is, is, is really good as well. We have Josh Freeze playing drums on that. Um, the best version of that, you know, if any of these listeners want to go investigate, if you can even find it, there's the EP, it's a five or six song EP medication, and I think that has the most soul that the band had. You know, yeah, that EP really is really good. And, and once again, by then we're making our own music, you know, tracking it, mixing it ourselves and you know what a cool experience for sure yeah you guys toured on that i had a chance to see you guys playing with uh coal chamber up in central wisconsin when i was living there at that time and and you guys were great but man it just and i'm sure just like every other ugly kid joe fan it was like man deep down i wish they'd just play some ugly kid joe songs but we knew you wouldn't you know because you guys were doing the medication <laughs> but i think it was you guys you're teasing me man you know we want ugly kid joe back so bad at this point you know but like i said medication and the ep the prince valium and the ep good music and i recommend it to anybody to check out so then from there that kind of runs its course and then uh you end up hooked up with uh, the guys from godsmack for another animal that's right. And that that is a, is an incredible musical force. That mm-hmm. has a has the original guitar player Lee Richards from Godsmack, and, and Lee Richards also is, is from a band called Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And Lee mm-hmm. Richards, it's all the guys in Godsmack minus the singer, plus Lee Richards. And when I say plus Lee Richards, I can't uh, I can't tell you how great that guy is. And when I say how great that guy is, I'm talking for vocals. I mean, he's a great human as well. But as far as being you know, so tuned in with harmony and melody and blues runs and all these things that I have the potential to do, but don't, you know, I got a lot of Helen Keller to me. So, you know, this dude sat there and he wasn't quite sure. You know, Shannon's like, this is the guy, you know, Shannon Larkin. He's like, yeah, I'm getting way to come sing on this another animal record. And then I go, okay, we believe in you and hope this guy works out. And I showed up, you know, very excited and grateful to be in the room with these guys. And then Lee Richards was like, can you do this, can you do that, can you do this? And, uh, and uh, he really brought out a side of me vocally that I didn't know I had, mm-hmm. which, get, you know, which, you know, which makes me feel more confident about myself in, in a lot of different ways, but particularly in music. So, yeah, I mean, Another Animal, what a great band, uh, what great songs. You know, we, we toured a little with uh, Alta Bridge. We, um, we did Ship Rock last year in November. Um, and we'll probably always make music on and off, but, you know, Godsmack's Godsmack and... Uh, there you go. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was any plans for any more future recording with the, with those guys. With uh, with Godsmack or with another animal? With another animal. 
Well, we did that song Follow Rome, which you can yeah. find on the computer somewhere, which is badass. Like, if you, if any of your listeners or even you guys, if you guys know it exists, it's so awesome. It's called Fall of Rome. Yeah, it's very cool too. You can cool find tune. that, and uh, and, uh, and we got to record some other songs. We haven't released them. Uh, mm-hmm. We have them in our back pocket. Uh, but uh, as far as my relationship with those guys and another animal and, and whatever that is uh, or will be, is it's kind of on a cycle. Like you know, like it gets put on the back burner, but it's still it's still on the back burner. And then periodically, they're all let's fire this up, and we 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 all meet for, so far on the East Coast or or you know so far it's been in Boston or Florida. And, we go track stuff and we have Dave mix it. Once again, our friend Dave Foreman. <laughs> and then we get it mastered and it's done. So I'm sure we'll make more music. Um, how it will manifest, I can't say. That Dave is a good guy to have around. He, dude, I tell you, man, it's all who you know. And at this point, <laughs> if you're still standing in this game that I'm in, you know, if you can even be on the field, I mean, you know everybody. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, in 1992, for sure, I bet, you know, I also cast money on that we needed management and we needed a label and we needed all those weird tools because we're so young and naive and you know we weren't educated on the various things now you know whatever now our friends are the producers you know and you know i'm not scared to go manage a band or whatever we've seen all the and plus it's a total different you know anything goes right now it's the wild west tell you the truth yeah uh, yeah dave Foreman is more than a great guy to know i mean he's not only our good friend and guitar player he's 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 an incredible producer incredible he's the you know that wonderful level that you would, that any musician in any band would love to be near, and we just happen to have it in house, so it's pretty cool. Right on. Well, I know, and I've noticed you with all these different projects you've done, and I, you know, with the way technology's advanced, it's it's easier to do these things. Like you'd mentioned, having you know dat tapes flown over to Australia for you to do the you know the the cuts on the ACDC thing, and then you know doing these projects with another animal and stuff. Do you like the way it, things are now, or do you miss the days of the 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 big record contracts and having management handle everything, or do you like doing it kind of a DIY way? I like right now, you know, mm-hmm. I'm so present, you know, I'm not all strung out. I'm totally clear and, and hungry for, you know, a new uh, experience. And, and so, for you know, of course, I loved my experience from before and I you know, wouldn't change anything. I mean, I'm grateful. I mean, how cool is my journey so far? But right now, I mean, I love getting inside the management side of, of, of this band. I love, you know, figuring out different ways to uh, celebrate our music or deliver it to people. You know, I, I love when we when we figured out what TuneCore was. TuneCore, you can release, you know, your, your single or your EP or your full-length record, whatever you want to do. You can, you can release the 15 different platforms around the world. I loved pushing that button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there like, you go. We, you know, it's so neat to birth it through, through that. It's way beyond my comprehension, you know? I mean, what I don't know is massive, you know? So um, it's exciting. So do I, li- I, I like both. I liked how it was, you know, and I liked being naive, and I liked having other people do it, and I liked drinking beer and going to do all the stuff you would do at 24. <laughs> I loved that. Right. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love that? You know, that came with, you know, you know a set of experiences that, that, have, that have been uh, told many times. And uh, now, as we do this again and have the opportunity, I mean, here's what's up. When, uh, when Phil Campbell from Motorhead came in and uh, saw us playing Sweden Rock, right? Mm-hmm. There he was, stage right. As I walked off stage, he said, hey, man, come here. 
And I say, hey, Ryan, how's it going? It's great to see you, da 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 da. And he goes, he goes, hey, you know what? Wait, he goes, uh, he goes, you know, a lot of people don't get a first chance. And I'm all, I got you, I got you. I tried to walk away, and he pulled me close, and he goes, and you're getting a second chance. So mm-hmm. he goes, man, don't fuck it up. Yeah. And I heard him loud and clear. Yeah. Like bell. And I was like, wow, how cool for for that dude to say that, you know? Let alone jam with us later, you know? Yeah. Um, so you know, this is a cool second chance. You know, how far will it go? Who knows? But the fact is that there's. You know, we, we were actually playing shows, and as we started this interview off, you know, we were, it was celebrated. You know, we didn't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't walk into the room filled with fear, but I, equally I don't know what's going to transpire. You know, do we still got it? How's it going to be? Blah, blah, blah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is really a, a neat experience, uh, and, and, and it includes, you know, being present for, you know, not getting ripped off or being present for, you know, uh, wondering, you know, what we can do to, push the band forward, you know, in-house, whether that be Dave being the producer or me being the manager with Klaus or writing our songs or whatever. So <clears throat> it's a great time now, for sure. So at this point now, has Stairway to Hell surpassed your expectations? Well, define what you're asking me. I'm talking about, like, as far as, you know, the response from the fans, the, uh, the I guess, the sales on iTunes, everything else. Like, when you went into this, like you said, you really didn't know what to expect you know, and I'm sure it could have been a little nerve wracking, but I got to imagine, you know, as as good as those six songs are, you got to be getting a huge response to it. Um, well, I didn't expect anything, and I really don't. I'm like, okay, I'm, I, you know, first things first, do I like the songs as, as me? Mm-hmm. Do I does it make me feel good? And then typically, if, if if that's a yes, then it usually affects the rest of the cast of the world, you know, in a favorable, <laughs> favorable way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we, we released that. We love our artwork. You know, we really did that to, we made music together with that 95 lineup. Um, all of that was the payoff. The fact that anyone, you know, will pay us for it <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're grateful, really. I mean, what it comes down to. Any, any response, uh, you know, anybody that's turned on by our songs, you know, makes us feel good. So, yeah, you know, I mean, we're just pretty much grateful to, to, be, to be doing it. And you're out there, you're playing with some huge crowds, just got done in South America. Um, up next for you guys, heading back to the U.K. with Alice Cooper and Duff McKagan, right? That is true. So then I guess, you know, that's great for them and everything, but it comes to beg the question of the night, when is Ugly Kid Joe coming back to the States? Uh, we will see about that. we got some back burner knowledge going on. I would think uh, if it does manifest, it will probably be next summer. All right. You know? All right, well... Yeah. I just, just for a moment here, you know, just, I'd like to just step up onto the soapbox just for a second and, you know, make a bold statement really here, right, for just a second. You know, and in this, in this statement, I want to, you know, speak on behalf of America. Now, Ugly Kid Joe, you know, when you came out, you were awesome. You know, you took the world on, you set the world on fire. You know, we bought all your albums, all your T-shirts. We loved you. You know, you toured around the States. You treated us right. You know, we were appreciative of it. But, you know, as Americans, we're a fickle bunch, you know, and what's cool today isn't necessarily going to be awesome tomorrow. And, you know, we've seen you guys split up and go with your different bands and stuff, and, you know, it kind of hurts us a little bit. But now, you know, you guys are back together you're probably, you know, arguably better than ever, you know, with these new new songs out. And as for all America, I just want to say we're sorry, and we, we want you back. We want you back. Please, please take us back, Ugly Kid Joe. We're back to do it. So, you know, 
Let's see if we can work together to get us uh, out somewhere in the States. All right. Well, with that being said, you know, then I turn it to the listeners and I say, you know, you guys are fans of hard rock and heavy metal. You tune into the Decibel Geek podcast every single week. Call your local rock clubs, you know, call, call the places that are putting on rock shows, the promoters, and, you know, tell them. I want to see Ugly Kid Joe in my town, you know, and that's, I got to think, the number one way to do it. You know, call your radio stations. They're not probably going to play it, but your promoters, your local promoters, and, you know, and I'm not saying because it's bad, because it's awesome, but radio just isn't playing nothing good nowadays. You know, it's all the re recycled shit. But, you know, to, to take the time and call your promoter and say, I want Ugly Kid Joe in my town will probably go a long ways, you know, and if everybody gets together and does it, you know, we'll, we'll do our part. Yeah. Ugly Kid Joe will do their part. There you go, dude. It's a deal. All right. <laughs> Beautiful. Grassroots started. That's the way to do it, I think. You know, it's 2012. Love we got to take the power back. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Rage Against the Answering Machine? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been killer. Like I said, I've been a fan of Ugly Kid Joe since the very beginning. It's, a, it's an extra special thrill for me to get to talk to you. Hey, the new single we're going to start pushing is I'm All Right off the uh, EP. That's so a killer song. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for taking the time. And Even, uh, even if the radio station isn't going to play it, call them and ask them anyway. Yeah. What the, what the hell? Yeah. Tell them to stop playing Nickelback for five minutes give and them play a, something else. Give them a hard time. You know, why not? <laughs> they deserve it. a hard it. time. Well, thank, hey, guys, thanks for having me, man. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I hope I ain't your day. Won't you be my neighbor? All right, now, Aaron, you told me you were a fan of Ugly Kid Joe, but I had no idea that you were a stalker of Ugly Kid Joe. I feel like we've got something accomplished here today. You know, I've got all the answers that I've always wanted to know. There was, he's, <laughs> folks, he's sitting here, he's wearing this T-shirt with this humongous picture of Whitfield Crane's face. Yes. And on his wall, he's got, like, thousands <laughs> of photos of him. Whitfield, if you're listening to this, you need to be careful because this guy really likes you. It's not like that. <laughs> I just love me some ugly kid Joe, That's you know, the, and I'm stoked that they're back, you know, and it's it's too. cool to me that the world is, you know, digging it too. And like I said, you know, it doesn't hurt to contact your local promoters. I mean, don't call them with a list of 50 bands you want to see. Just pick ugly kid Joe and maybe one other band you want to see and call them up and say, hey, I'd love to see ugly kid Joe and, you know, so-and-so come to this club in this town. I'm sure a lot of people would love to see it as well. Mm -hmm. You know, let these people know that you want your rock and roll in your town. Yeah, it's because it's all about grassroots, you know, promotion these days. Yeah. That, that's one thing that social networking has brought back. It's brought back word of mouth. Right. Facebook, Twitter, those things are now word of mouth. And your your people aren't don't realize how powerful they can be with social networking. It's it's a it's a great tool. Absolutely. I mean, you can change the world with just a Facebook post. Or a Facebook like on Facebook.com slash Decibel Geek. That's right. That's where you start. You hit that big like button, and then we go from there. Gene Simmons taught us well, even though he ripped off Ugly Kid Joe on the Revenge Tour. Yeah. And that I did not know that. Did you? Well, I mean... I, I never put I never that really, together. Yeah, but it does make sense. It because, does. yeah, it's they're both, you know, Statues of Liberty with the middle finger aloft. I still love that stage show, though. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, man. I love that album by Ugly Kid Joe. But yeah. Um, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in the future. A lot of cool stuff. And, you know, I'd love to tell you all what it is right now, but that's not how we roll. We like to keep you guys in suspense, so you're just going to have to keep tuning in every single week. We are going mobile, I will say that. Yes, we're going to leave the studio. We've never left the studio before. I'm a little afraid. Well, I did of the once, but oh, I, yeah. at a local club, but it, it wasn't on anything on the level of what we're going to be doing soon. No, we've got some cool stuff planned out. And coming up in the future, we're going to let you know how you 
can come meet us. That's right. So we got stuff like that coming up as well. So as always, we want to thank you guys for tuning in every single week. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We do it because we're creating a, a local music scene with a worldwide audience and because we love rock and roll. So yeah, listen yeah. to this ugly kid Joe on the way out and we'll see you next week. Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. My hair's a mat and I don't shave. My wife just left today. I bet you think that I'm the only reason. I don't get out. My life's a bore and no one ever calls. I drink alone. That's how I spend my evening. I'm a-